Hello, and welcome to Rainbow Road. I'm Travis Ryans. I'm an assistant director in the film and television industry. I'm Michael Deneen. Uh, I'm a sociologist and a recent champion of the Galar region. <laughs> and today we have with us Taikota Galecki. Ty is a queer gamer and a Pokemon connoisseur. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Good to have you with us today, Ty. All right, so today we are talking about the video game behemoth that is Pokemon. Released as Pocket Monsters Green and Blue in Japan in 1996, this juggernaut of gaming all came from series creator Satoshi Chichiri's love of collecting insects as a child. This bloomed into the role-playing game we know and love today, where children go out into the wild to tame feral creatures and train them to be loyal partners. This simple concept of collecting, trading, and battling monsters has spawned a transmedia empire of video games, trading cards, anime, manga, films, and has become the single best-selling franchise of all time, dwarfing competitors like Hello Kitty, Winnie the Pooh, and even the famed Monopoly mouse himself, Mickey. So, how did Darwinist cockfighting meets rock-paper-scissors become the cultural touchstone that it is today? Well, today, we're going to talk about that. So, we'll start with you, Ty. Tell me about your history with the Pokemon series. What game did you start with, and what have you played since? Yeah, so I think uh, Pokemon kind of came to North America, really, when I was at the core age. So, like, I was 10, which... Uh, if you've played the games, usually your playable character is 10 years old. <laughs> I think I started with uh, Pokemon Blue on the Game Boy Color. Ooh. I had one of those uh, fantastic, like, uh, see-through purple uh, cases. Oh, the translucent. Yeah, that perfect 90s kind of style. Yeah, those are great. The screen on that was not great. Like, I just, getting light was sometimes the hardest part. And then, did you ever get that worm light that you could attach to it? Yeah, I didn't have that, but... Yeah, I, did, I didn't... I, didn't I really. had this weird sort of thing that was like a, a halo light that influencers use, but it was for your Game Boy. It would go around the edge of the screen and light up the screen for you. It was this weird piece of tech, because I, I got so frustrated trying to, like, wait for the street lamps to go by <laughs> as I would play it in the car. So, well, wh- who was your starter then? Do you remember who your first starter was? Yes. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I uh, was in love with Bulbasaur. I always thought he was the best. He was kind of like the... Uh, underdog i felt everyone else i knew really liked charizard or uh uh, blastoise and i just love bulbasaur's whole line (laughs) i started with bulbasaur as well actually i was like you guys can keep you guys are both bulbasaurs yeah no i started with charmander yeah i was like you guys can keep your knockoff dragons you can keep your blastoise i i want my little bulby boy (laughs) blastoise Also, I like that Ty self-describes as, as a connoisseur. That's that's fun to me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, what, what games have you played since then, Ty? I only really played uh, Blue when I was a kid. I kind of felt like I aged out of it by the time the other games started coming out. Um, and it wasn't until uh, near the end of high school I rediscovered my Game Boy and uh, picked it up again and started replaying it. And then I started getting uh, the other games that I hadn't played, like Pokemon Yellow and Pokemon Crystal. Uh, and then I finally, it was uh, about the time that Generation 4 was out. So Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. So then I got those games. I got a DS so I could play them. And yeah, I've just kind of been keeping uh, up with the trends since then. Cool. What about you, Mike? Yeah, like I said, started with uh, Charmander, also at the core age. Ty, Ty, are we the same age, I think? Are you, what's your birth year? 88. 80, okay, I'm, I'm a year younger than you. Then. And I'm a year younger than you. Yay. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I just revealed my age on 
you know what? I can't I can't fake it on Grinder anymore. You're really dating yourself, Mike. I'm a fossil now. Um, <laughs> I'm like Kaboot. What were the fossils again? <laughs> I forget. Kabuto and Ammonite. Yeah, those ones. And Aerodactyl. Yeah. Aerodactyl. Oh yeah, I can't forget Aerodactyl. Amber fossil. Yeah. I didn't know that the creator based it off his insect collection. That to me is so interesting because it definitely, when you think about it, like yeah, of course, it's just, it, there's so many similarities. Also. Makes sense why there was a bug catcher in the game. <laughs> because why else would you include bugs in this game about, you know, flying dragons? But like, Caterpie, you got this man. I believe in you. <laughs> uh, if we want to talk about bugs, uh, did, Ty, did you ever exploit the missing no bug in red and blue? <laughs> yes. It's one of the only ways to get Mew. You guys you guys didn't find her under the truck in Vermilion City? Under the truck? What oh, you, you didn't hear? There's okay. a Mew... No, it was this huge urban legend that, like, uh, where the SSN departs, there is this truck out by the side of it. So if you use Surf, you can get to the edge of the map where the SSN departs, and there's a truck, and why? Why is there this truck there? So it became this huge urban legend that that's how you get Mew, is if you gotta surf over to the truck. Oh god, I love the Pokemon rumor mill. I feel like just by virtue of being in elementary school, when that when this is all at its, you know, it's just kicking off... Like, I I think I remember hearing so many crazy, like, conspiracy theories about the games. Like, I I don't know about you guys. Yeah, there was tons about Lavender Town and, like, creepypastas about the the dead Pokemon there and the Pokevirus and things like that. Right, yeah, yeah. What a a wacky series. Ty, why why did you get into the series? What what attracted you to it? So when I was a kid, I really liked the old uh, Godzilla movies. Oh, Kaiju, okay. Yeah, I just love monsters beating the crap out of each other. (laughs) And Pokemon directly feeds into that. It totally uh, that's does. That's kind of the whole yeah. premise. Yeah, and you know what's interesting that you bring up the kaiju monsters, because I feel like the newest iteration, Sword and Shield, like, really lean into that trope so heavily. Especially with the Gigantamax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not even just with the fact that you have, like, battling monsters, but it's like, now you can also tap into the energy of Galar and make them, like, a million feet tall. Or how big did they get? They get they get big, right? Like, they're just, like, huge. It was great. Um, what, did you guys play Sword and Shield? Like, what did you think? I love loved it. Uh, I definitely have, like, I guess a couple complaints about it, but overall, I thought it was a really fun game. Oh, all right. Spill, spill the tea, Ty. Yeah, spill no, the let's tea. hear it. Let's hear it. What, <laughs> what don't you like? I was really excited that the main series was moving to the Switch, because I really liked games like uh, X and Y and uh, Black and White. Uh, all had really large cities and towns mm-hmm. uh, that you could explore quite a bit of. So I was excited to see what the Switch would do, especially based on, like, England and London and then all of the towns kind of seemed a little small. Yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm. You could go into like three buildings, and one of them was the Poké Center. And then the ones that were supposed to be big cities were large, but they didn't have a lot of stuff going on in them. Interesting. Yeah, it's okay. true. You, you get really hyped in X and Y for Lumio City or Lumoise or Lumio. I don't know if I forgot what one it is, but it, it, how big it is and how you can't get into it. And when you can finally access it, there's so many different districts and things you can access. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was something similar in like uh, Ruby and Sapphire that I don't remember the name of. I think Granville or something. And yeah, there was so much that you could do there, but there wasn't really a thing in Sword and Shield. I remember. Impressed that you guys remember the details of those games because when I I feel like every time I play a new Pokemon game, it just becomes like part of the same game in my head. <laughs> like I only I only really explicitly remember the towns in red and blue, 
and like and I think that's just because of the TV show. I think the TV show is an entry point for a lot of people. I think that's why, like, at least for me, that's why I got in. I was watching it, and mm-hmm. thanks to, you know, relaxed restrictions from the Reagan administration, thank you so much, we now got TV shows that were basically just advertisements for toys. Mm-hmm. That was the only reason they existed, but I still loved it. I loved Pokemon, and mm-hmm. that's what, I'm like, I have to play it, I have to play it. Um, yeah. And that's sort of what got me in. I think that was an entry point for a lot of people. So why do you think that this game seems to have such a large queer following? I think that uh, a lot of Pokemon in general kind of read as pretty queer. Like which ones? Uh, I Well, they introduced a tea Pokemon in, in uh, the gallery. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sip that tea. <laughs> so, and while I mean, tea is obviously uh, synonymous with England, I do think it's also synonymous with the gay community. Mm-hmm. I feel like Jinx was pretty gay too. I don't Or maybe she was just like a drag queen, she's I guess. Like, she's half drag queen, half minstrel, which is a little concerning. That's why they had to change her pigment from black to purple. Yes. Yeah. Th- that happened? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because she was fully blackface in, in the original, oh. and they had to change her pigment from black to purple. Contentious. So, like, it was, it was a little problematic, but <laughs> we, we seem to have moved past it. But do you guys feel like there's any other reasons? There's anything in the mechanics, in the anime, anything that really sort of has attracted uh, the queer community? Well, I mean, one of the most, I think, iconic queer duos in uh, pop culture from the 90s would be Team Rocket. Jesse yes, and James. Oh, yeah. love them. It's such a shame because there was an episode where actually they get up in full drag that never made it over to Western audiences. Uh, it was released in Japan and then censors with like four kids entertainment, the publishers here, um, right, publishers, the broadcasters. I don't know. I'm so used to using game lingo yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they wouldn't let it air here because they were in full drag. James had breasts and Misty asks him at one point, she's like, you know, wait, I thought you were male. And he goes, who cares as long as I'm beautiful. <laughs> That's a great line. It's such a shame. I never made it over here. Uh, do you guys feel like you appreciate the series any differently than straight people do? I don't know if I appreciate it differently. I appreciate Team Rocket. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think my main issue with the series overall is that uh, the characters don't grow. So like, whereas I... We haven't seen the dark and edgy reboot. Yeah. Or even just like, move on from Ash, show us a new protagonist, right? Like every game, it seems like even though you're the protagonist, you're a different protagonist. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to see like a change in the series that mirrors that. What, What kind of change? Uh, if a Pokemon producer is listening, you guys should take notes. Just oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a market research <laughs> focus, focus group. group. Um, <laughs> no pressure, Ty. Uh, they've actually um, been doing shorts on YouTube, I think, uh, the Pokemon company. Uh, I think it's called um, Pokemon Twilight Wings or something. Oh, okay. Whoa. I haven't seen those. Yeah, they're just shorts focusing on different characters uh, in the new region and in the new games. They have one episode about Hops Wooloo who's trying to be as good as uh, the champion's Charizard. And it keeps making Charizard faces and trying to like live up to what it thinks its trainer uh, wants it to be. And I think that that humanizes the game a little more by showing us all these side characters uh, having struggles and trying to be the best as well. They're also trying to become Pokemon Masters. Uh, and I really liked that. I felt like it tied into the games as well as being an entertaining series of shorts. And I'd like to see more stuff like that rather than just following Ash, who's kind of become this character who you know is always going to win and always going to save the day. Well, he just wants to be the best he ever was. That's <laughs> it. He just he wants to catch them all and just be the best that he ever was. He did finally win his first championship. Yes, finally. Yes. Little boy Ash, we're so proud of you. 
make your make your gay daddies proud. I mean, if this were real life, he'd be he'd be a man. He'd probably have kids. He'd be us, know. right? We were ten years old, yeah. or yeah. somewhere between eight and ten when this all started. Oh my god, he's like an avatar for for us. That's. <laughs> Weird. It's like a full Toy Story. We've now become old and our toys, uh, we have to leave them behind. Except I'm totally not. I am not leaving Pokemon behind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, also, Pokemon's never made me cry. Because sometimes the characters are just so cartoony, right? I'll, but, you know, I'm still I'm still kind of focused on your question, Travis, of like, why has this game resonated so heavily with so much of the LGBT community? Because I know it's true. I've I can definitely speak to that. But I, I honestly have no clue why. Well, I mean, I actually do have a couple theories myself, if I want to put on my little game analysis hat. Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. I think it's because being part of the queer community, we are so used to not fitting into our gender roles that we've been assigned. You know, especially with video games being so marketed to boys, everything has been about action and violence and things like that. And there is battling in Pokemon, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the tagline is, gotta catch them all, mm-hmm. not gotta beat them all. It's got to catch them all. And that's all about bonding with Pokemon. Now, there are battle mechanics behind it. Sure, fine, whatever. But what we really care about is bonding with Pokemon, creating, you know, these lifelong friendships with them, creating a team of people that we connect with. And that is not a traditionally masculine trait, you know, empathy and compassion and connection. And I think it's really cool that we have a game that's about all of those things. And I think that's why we maybe connect with people, especially because like the game is about connection, not even between you and Pokemon, but you and other people. They specifically designed the games so that you would have to trade with others. Mm -hmm. You can't catch them all with your own game. I mean, you can buy two games, two systems, get a link cable. Sure, fine. Capitalism always wins. But (laughs) Really, the idea is that you're supposed to connect with other people. And I think that's created this community that I think a lot of us longed for as kids when we didn't really fit in. Yeah, you know what? There was a a tweet that went out by at Cameron Esposito. It said, straight people don't text your exes at a time like this queer people but those but those are my oldest friends <laughs> and i was like yeah you know what there is a, a value placed on connection especially when you belong to uh, a marginalized group it doesn't necessarily have to be lgbt it could be you know a, like a racially marginalized group it could be anything like that but i, I think you, you might be onto something there more just like the focus being on connection and uh, and there definitely is this very humanistic underpinning to the game like when you talk to any of the npcs in the world you know they're positive and encouraging a lot of the time and even the villains like we were talking about jesse and james they're just so cartoonish like it's they don't even really feel like villains they just kind of feel like misguided friends you know Mm -hmm. i think it's really interesting to see what the villains are and what they represent in each game so like when we looked at team rocket it was about theft but also you had giovanni running things and giovanni was you know a capitalist he was a businessman he was like a mob boss too yeah yeah kind of he was very like very sopranos-esque <laughs> yeah actually yeah and you see what's happened since then and there's like eco-fascists and i don't even know what to call the ones from sun and moon appropriation of black culture like i don't (laughs) i don't know what to call those villains and then in sword and shield we got toxic fanboys which relevant like good on the developers for talking about that especially during the game where they took so much heat but again they just sort of seem like misguided they they don't seem like threatening they just seem like i don't know they're more annoying than anything else i guess that's how i feel about toxic fanboys too yeah it's just (laughs) it's just this idea of like you know, loving something so much that you think that you get to tear everything else down and not let anything else change or grow, which, hey, Pokemon, hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, shoot. I did think that that uh, 
twist about the evil team in uh, Sword and Shield was really smart of them to do. Mm-hmm. I guess spoilers are fine. Oh yeah, if, sorry. Spo- <laughs> spoiler alert, guys. If you haven't played Sword and Shield, this is don't don't listen. Is anyone really playing it for the story? I mean, I love story. That's why I, I play I games. I legitimately was. Oh, I was playing it for the story. Well, I'm so glad you finished it because I, I had no intention of holding back from spoilers <laughs> on this. <laughs> Yeah, I just really liked that they kind of made it that, uh, you know, the town that Marnie, I think it's Marnie, is yeah. from. Yeah. It's like a little more down on its luck. It's a poorer town. Uh, they don't even have a gym to actually battle yeah, they don't in. Have a stadium. Yeah. It's like, I can't Dynamax because I'm, yeah. or Gigantamax. Or Dynamax. Like, no, you were, you were right the first time. Oh, yeah. Okay. Di- Dynamax. Yeah. And then uh, they have this trainer who's made it into the championships and, like, they just want her to win. I feel like that definitely speaks to, like, like socioeconomic class. It's sort of a commentary on privilege and also about unity at the same time, you know? Yeah. I mean, when I found that out in game, I was like, I didn't mind them as much anymore because i saw that they were just trying to like push forward and like break out of the economic state that they've been put in mm-hmm. and it's when talking about the humanistic underpinnings where it's like you have this ostensible villain but then it's like you get to know the context of their life history and and see what their life chances have been like and you're like oh you know suddenly your your perspective changes and and yeah i think that's really cool because it sort of lends itself to the idea that everyone's kind of an iceberg and you only get to see the tip. And when you get to know what's going on beneath the surface, it's like, oh shoot, like I, your life sort of makes so much more sense. And it's really hard to, to villainize someone in, in that in that way. I think it's such a sort of an interesting, well, an analogy again, going further with the analogy, uh, in that Pokemon is a game for children. You know, it's always been marketed for children, despite the fact that we've grown up with this series. Mm-hmm. It's simple enough to understand the rock, paper, scissor mechanics of it all. But at the same time, there is some depth in there. There is a lot of strategy. There is, you know, people who play this game competitively, the stats that go into it, the breeding, you know, leaving aside the eugenics of the Pokemon breeding, but, you know, the EVs, IVs, specific abilities, specific natures, there is a lot that can be done with this. And yet kids play it and love it. And I think it's interesting that we see that happen all the time. And that's kind of what's going on sometimes with their narratives in that they're simple enough for children to understand, but there is more going on like that. I forget which game it was that had the eco-fascists about, you know, sort of this idea of, like, climate change coming to kill us all, you know, and and we're playing this game with kids. And it's just kind of funny to see, like you said, the iceberg of it all. The fact that there is enough to be enjoyed on the surface. But if you want to go deeper, there is a lot there. Definitely. I mean, even remember the beauty contest? Oh, that was one right. of the weird mini games that I actually, I don't even know why I played, but I remember playing, I think, was that Ruby and Sapphire iteration? Yeah, I yeah. think that was Ruby and Sapphire when they started. I got so into that. I just like more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just reflecting about how you're like, oh, it's a game for children. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I well, I mean, I guess I was still a child then. It's fine. What's my excuse now? I don't know. So would you say that those beauty contests were drag? Drag for Pokemon? Oh, wow. There was RuPaul, but for for Pokemon. This isn't RuPaul's best Pokemon race. It's about being friends with them. Who has the highest attack stat? Go back to Pewter City where you belong, bitch. (laughs) I mean, one of the things which I thought was interesting about these games was uh, your rival in Hop. Okay, Mm -hmm. yeah. You're kind of more the rival, it felt like to me. Yeah. Because, like, you just have this kid who, like, desperately wants to be as good as his big brother. 
And just like every time you beat him, it just gets more and more depressing, I felt. Yeah, it really <laughs> yeah, does. Because it's funny, he's he is more sympathetic than than your own character in the game, isn't he? Yeah, you kind of become the villain, I felt. That's just like real life. I feel like I'm I'm becoming the villain so often now. <laughs> if we've learned anything today, it's it's really just that that I'm a villain. So if if we are the villains, if we're the antagonists, that makes us the gym leaders, the obstacles in the people's way. So picture yourself as a gym leader for a second. What is your type? What, what Pokemon are you picking? Oh, you know, I've thought about this question before. Actually, I was like playing my friend Emily, and she was like, she was like, oh interesting choices for Pokemon. I wouldn't have made those, but I, I like your style. And I was like, oh, I have a style, I guess. Um, my Pokemon are always very diverse. And it's mostly because it's the same way I approach life, actually, because I, I like to have a very diverse range of, of activities and interests. And so I think my Pokemon reflect that too. So I try to have like a fire, a water, a grass, an electric, a flying, and like a rock or a ground or like, but like I'll usually have fire, water, grass, and then, then maybe change up. Like maybe I'll throw in a psychic or something, but I, I want to be like the Swiss army knife of trainers, you know, like I just want to be ready for anything, which I feel like, all, but undercuts my strategy so much of the time too, because <laughs> like I have friends who will really like build a meta into their Pokemon. They're like, well, I have a status changer and then I bust out this and this. And they just, I, I, I lose so often because of my commitment to this value of diversity. Um, but you know, it's a hill I'm willing to die on and often do or faint on. I don't know. <laughs> See, I'm bipolar. So I just want a team of six Magnemites. Like, that's it. <laughs> or maybe, like, three minins and three plusels. <laughs> what about you, Ty? Oh, man. Um, I have thought about this extensively. I would definitely, I think, be a, a ghost-type gym leader. Ghost? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really like the spooky ones. But the fairy comment was not a... It wasn't me being homophobic. I just feel like I've seen you dress up like that before. Like a fairy type? Uh, yeah. Just, well, we went to the same alternative high school for a bit, Ty and I. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, I did have pink hair. <laughs> that's, but you, you, sorry, you were saying you'd have ghost type. Yeah, I just like the aesthetic of the ghost type. I like the mythology behind a lot of them and the lore. Which is kind of terrifying. Exactly. Wait, is it? Why? There's a lot of Pokemon who just have very strange kind of little um, blurbs in the Pokedex. What was that ghost Pokemon that had that whole backstory written online? I can't remember. I, I think the most terrifying one is Drifloon. Drifloon is the little sort of purple balloon Pokemon. And it's like, it waits for children to grab onto its little string and then carries them away. And I'm like, ah. Oh my God. Oh, oh, oh God. <laughs> that seems like an Eastern European folktale. <laughs> right? Like, that just seems like the kind of thing, like, it'll eat you in your sleep. Like, just these so, like, innocuous yet horrifying little anecdotes. I mean, Miss Drevis and Miss Magus are also very drag. Look at them. They're very drag. They are. Also, Sarina, which is not a ghost type. It's the new grass one, which is just very hippie. <laughs> I'm alright with that, man. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say grass type... <laughs> <laughs> I did mean uh, hippie as in hip pads. <laughs> oh, Serena. Okay, now I know which one you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, I feel like she's very drag. It's becoming so evident that you guys know so much more about Pokemon than me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like just sitting here being like, oh god, I don't know any of these Pokemon. I can't even... It's like the first 150 and like maybe some of the new ones and it's just like... You could honestly just make up a name right now and be like, yeah, Floop-de-Flop and I'd be like, uh, yeah, that one. Wait, you don't know Floop-de-Flop? I love Floop-de-Flop. Shut up. <laughs> That's not, you, don't, don't mess with me, man. Don't. There's well over a thousand. I think you can be forgiven for not knowing all of them. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. I just, 
I feel absolved. I do think it's interesting that we talk about the gym leaders sort of in the way that they have been for so long and that they have a specific type and that is it. And I would kind of love to see the series move away from that. Like, I know... We've seen the series evolve with some things. I remember playing Pokemon Silver and finding out that you can get a call from Bill when your Pokemon box is full. And I'm like, the convenience. Oh my God. (laughs) And now the idea of Pokemon boxes barely even matters anymore. You know, you can switch out Pokemon on the fly. I was so happy to see that. I think a lot of these changes would not have come about if they hadn't sort of tested things out with Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. Mm, Did you guys play either of those? No, I did not. But I had a friend that did. I did. I played uh, Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. The correct choice. Obviously. Um, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) To hell with Pikachu. He's had his time. (laughs) Was Pikachu even in the top 10 of worldwide favorite Pokemon? Who are your favorite Pokemon, guys? Like, like, forget your gym leader for a second, but who would be your favorite Pokemon? Ditto. I I really like Ditto. Non-binary icon Ditto. Cool. True. I I just love he he can become anything. And then when he does, it like they introduce the thing in the show where like their faces are still kind of like Ditto weird squiggly faces. Yes. (laughs) I just thought that was hilarious. What about you, Ty? What's your favorite Pokemon? I think I have a couple. I think it really depends on what, uh, in what sense. I love Bulbasaur. Uh, He'll always be, uh, have a special place in my heart. He's number one. Can you do a good Bulbasaur impression? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I just remember so many times doing the Pokemon voices when I was a kid. So, Oh, yeah. No, that's how I connected with them. Can- Babazar. Uh, Babazar. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty good. That yeah. was good. I think I do a mean Squirtle. Yeah, let's hear it. Squirtle, Squirtle, Squirtle. <laughs> that is really good. <laughs> Thanks. I did like in the anime when they had the uh, the sunglasses. Oh, uh, the, the Squirtle, Squirtle Squad. Squad. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Uh, and also, the Pokemon, the first movie, that's the first movie I've ever cried in a theater for. It was funny. I, while I was doing research for the episode, that line that Mewtwo has at the end apparently is like this trans anthem for some people. Uh, what is the, it? You know, the circumstances of one's birth does not matter. It is what you do with the gift of life that matters. Mm. Um, I'm paraphrasing slightly because I don't remember the exact quote, but mm-hmm. so many trans people like felt that hard and like trans listeners if you guys have any thoughts on this please let us know i want to know what you guys think of that but um things like the evolutions are also trans icons like specifically sylveon but also the all the evolutions the idea of starting as one thing and you know becoming who you truly are like that's really fascinating to me yeah i like the evolution is such a staple in the series you know you sometimes reach this point where you've outgrown your past form you know you need to you need to move on and into the next chapter and you feel like you're stagnating and it's like no i I need to evolve i need to get myself like a a, a stone mm-hmm. and evolve not into a metapod though because i feel like that's he's only got hardened like what, there's some usefulness or, to harden just saying there's some usefulness <laughs> to getting hardened <laughs> that's you you know what my facebook feed wouldn't know it they keep advertising viagra pills to me and i can't <laughs> I, for the life of me i don't know why i kind of got off topic there for a second but i want to jump back yeah, so sorry, um, sorry. what did you feel about a lot of the changes they made in let's go eevee ty yeah i mean i do think a lot of that was really based off um Kind of the popularity of Pokemon Go. Yeah, for sure. I remember that summer just being so crazy with everyone inside. Just, it was great. I've never been more proud of the Pokemon series. And it's so interesting that now this this summer is like the exact opposite of that summer. <laughs> well, they did just release Pokemon Home. So <laughs> this is true. there's a correlation. <laughs> we have Pokemon Go Home. As opposed to Pokemon Go to the polls. Good. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things from Pokemon Let's Go was riding your Pokemon. Yeah. Hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> gross. Gross, Mike. They introduced ride Pokemon, I think, in uh, 
Sun and Moon? Sun and Moon, yes. And uh, there's always been, like, surfing on your Pokemon, but you didn't really get to see the Pokemon that you were surfing on? No, it was always a Lapras, usually, right? (laughs) Yeah, or, like, a nondescript whale. That's my grinder name, nondescript whale. (laughs) (laughs) So I liked that you could, like, actually have an Arcanine and ride it. You could have a a Charizard that you could fly on. That's cool. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I wish they had brought it into these games. I mean, with the open world, I just think it would have been great to be able to, instead of just riding your bike through that area, if you could be riding one of your Mm, Pokemon. The wild area is terrifying. I've... I was scared when I went there because I was like, oh, I'll just have some fun in the wild. It's like the safari zone, right? I'll go have some fun in the wild area. And then it's like level 60 Onyx. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to run now. (laughs) I kind of loved that aspect, honestly. I felt like it was really enticing for me as a player. I wanted to build up to a point where I could take on those Pokemon and I could try to catch Mm -hmm. those Pokemon. I admire your ambition, Travis. I don't know. I felt like the Pokemon games have been super linear. Like, I, I watched my boyfriend play um, Let's Go Eevee. It was an interesting experience because he'd never played a Pokemon game before, but this is what got him into it. The whole Nintendogs of playing with Eevee was, like, what got him in. He wanted to play with an Eevee. That's why he wanted to play this game. But while I watched him play it, he skipped Saffron City entirely. Like, Whoa. did not even realize he had skipped it. And he made it all the way to Viridian City, and he's like, this is the only city left. Why can't I go into the gym? And I'm like, babe, you missed one. He's like... Missed one what? I'm like, you missed an entire city. And he goes, no. No, I couldn't have. I'm like, open up your map. Go to your map. Look at that. He's like, but that's in the dead center. How did I miss that? I'm like, I I don't know. I've watched you this entire time. It's been a fascinating experiment watching you not go into this city. But I liked kind of how non-linear that was. And I feel like everything since then has been super linear. You have no choice of where to go. Uh, And I kind of liked the wild area giving you that option to do something a little differently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do you guys feel about um, the other games in the series? So forgetting the mainline games, but things like Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Stadium, uh, Pokemon Puzzle League. You know, how do you guys feel about those? Oh, Pokemon Snap. Oh, I think Pokemon Snap is a, a beacon in a, a dark world. Mm-hmm. Sna- Snap and Stadium were great. I love those games. Snap was super fun because I remember as a kid, I remember having dreams about imagining what Pokemon Snap was going to be like. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be so good. Honestly, it just about lived up to the hype because there were like fun little mysteries you could solve on like your little Disney small world adventure, but through the Pokemon land, you know, and yeah. uh, and and then Pokemon Stadium was great because not only can you battle these Pokemon that you've had for so long, but also the, the mini games were super fun. Yeah, Clefairy says that was so much fun. Loved yeah, that. Yeah, the sushi one where you had Licky Tongue and you had oh, to just right, eat all yeah. the sushis as they're coming around the conveyor belt. One of my favorite things about Snap was the Blockbuster print stations. Those were so cool. Yeah. Okay, so to explain oh, wow. that to our audience, Blockbuster was a video rental store where you would go and pick up a VHS. <laughs> Uh, and then now we're really dating ourselves. Yeah, we really are. You would take pictures in the game uh, on Pokemon Snap, and then take them to a blockbuster, and they would print you off little pictures, which was really cute. And it's such a shame that like Pokemon Go has kind of replaced that now. We probably won't ever see a Pokemon Snap sequel because you can go out into the world and you can put a Pokemon in front of you and take pictures. R.I.P. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah, and they did have a, a camera feature in Sun and Moon, I believe. Oh, yeah? I, I don't remember that. Okay. You could only go to certain places and then there might be a Pokemon there that you could take pictures of and then you could get likes. It was the first Instagram Pokemon <laughs> iteration, uh, I guess. Pokemon Instagram. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> So we talked earlier about, like, gay Pokemon. What makes a Pokemon gay? 
Like, what what makes it a queer icon, do you think? I think it's easy to find sexualized ones, like an onyx using Harden. <laughs> yes. That's just because he looks like, like a dick, right? That's... Yeah, 100%. Okay. I just wanted to be clear. I was like, is there something about onyx that I did not? Okay. Well, onyx's effort values are only 69. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the T-Pokemon Poltegeist. Uh, now there's the unicorn version of Rapidash. The cotton candy Pokemon. Which is so pretty. Um, Sorry. It just Yeah, is. no, it totally is. <laughs> and I just think a lot of the, the Pokemon that just look like drag queens. Gardevoir is my favorite Pokemon. Yes. Love Gardevoir. Yes. I love having a male Gardevoir. Mm-hmm. You would. Uh, looking really beautiful. I think it's another interesting thing about how heavily they gender code some Pokemon, but still make them available as both sexes like you'll have male Gardevoirs you'll have female Mr. Mimes you know things like that that was an active choice they made yeah mm-hmm. so we mentioned as well the um, Pokemon spinoff games have either of you heard anything about Temtem no and you know I you talked about this when we were discussing this episode beforehand I'm excited to hear what this is I, I don't know so Temtem is a Pokemon knockoff essentially where you are collecting and trading monsters and battling them you know it's very much Pokemon uh, but they're trying to change up some of the mechanics so every battle is a double battle um, you don't have PP anymore. Sort of, you have stamina that's used up from a, one pool from all of your moves. Okay. And if you run out of stamina, you start losing health. Mm. Um, so they're trying to change up the mechanics. It makes it very different and interesting, and I really like it. But also, they've made a real commitment to inclusion with that. So you choose how your character presents. Uh, But you're not asked that classic Professor Oak question, are you a boy or a girl? Mm. You're allowed to choose your pronouns. They offer you they, them, which is really cool. Uh, You can choose your own presentation. You can choose even how you walk. And I'm just going to say it. I walk gay as hell. Like, I flounce. (laughs) Oh, that's fabulous. I mince as I walk. And it's it's so cute. I love it in my little character in Temtem. Art imitates life. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's great. And I kind of love that they're doing the things that I think Nintendo will eventually do, but it took until Pokemon X and Y till we even got protagonists of color. So, I mean, Pokemon Go does ask you when you create your character, what is your style as opposed to what is your gender? But uh, yeah, I'm excited to see Temtem push that envelope and maybe carry things a little further and hopefully give Nintendo the courage to do those things with their future games. And Nintendo hasn't sent like a cease and desist or anything? No, because they've been very careful to like not make it Pokemon. All of the typings are different. It's not fighting type, it's melee type. It's not psychic type, it's mental type but you know what i resonate with that more because i'm a mental type (laughs) there's so many places i could go with that and i'm gonna choose not to (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for talking about pokemon with us today guys before we go i just want to ask you a question uh ty what you playing well i just finished uh, assassin's creed odyssey okay which was really fun still playing pokemon shield ev and iv training and uh my boyfriend and i just got uh the sims so that we can build a much larger more spacious house to imagine we live in <laughs> for you to quarantine yourselves in. yeah because it's not it's not gonna happen in real life <laughs> yeah what about you mike what you been playing i have now with quarantine had the opportunity to go back and play some games that i didn't have the opportunity once upon a time so uh my partner and i are playing portal 2 Ooh, oh nice awesome. i'm gonna propose that we'd finish it tonight if we can but we'll Sorry, see. you said yeah. you were going to propose, and I thought this conversation was going somewhere else entirely <laughs> for a second. <laughs> no, no, we're not. No, I'm going to propose that we beat the game. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, guys. Ty, you've been such a wonderful guest, and mm-hmm. uh, thank you. we will see everyone again next time. This has been Rainbow Road. If you liked this episode, follow us on Twitter at Rainbow Road Pod, or get in touch with us for future episodes at Rainbow Road Podcast at gmail.com. And a big thank you to our producer, Matt Kinnar. 
Thanks for listening to Rainbow Road.